Hi, I'm Taryn Winterbrill, host of Bestseller TV on C-Suite Radio. On this show, I sit down with leading business authors to find out what makes their books stand out from the crowd. With thousands of new business books and titles being published each year, we try to make it just a little bit easier for you to decide which ones are worth the read. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with Carrie Lorenz. She's the author of Fearless Leadership, High Performance Lessons from the Flight Deck. Great to have you with us, Carrie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So first off, you have to tell us right off the bat about your background, because that has undoubtedly shaped your definition of fearless leadership. So I was one of the first women to be assigned to fly fighters on and off of aircraft carriers in the United States Navy. So working in that environment, uh, obviously with a team of very high performing people in very volatile conditions and ever-changing situations, tends to shape the way you think about leadership and really gives you an opportunity to see what's effective and maybe what is not so much so. Right. So that said, how do you define fearless leadership from your perspective? Right. So. Uh, In the book, I kind of walk through two different parts of it, kind of what fearless leadership looks like on an individual level, and then how do you instill that in your team? So these principles of courage and tenacity and integrity on those foundational elements, uh, and then taking it into action, having a vision and establishing a culture, and then building resiliency within your team. Because what I've really found is that not only from my time being a fighter pilot, but in the time since then, working with Fortune 100, Fortune 10 organizations, organizations, whether it's individual contributors or managers or at the executive level, the C-suite level, these principles and the ability to work through fear Mm -hmm. and the fear of failure, that is one of the biggest differentiators between those who are sort of successful and those who are actually able to take it to the next level. Well, you mentioned courage, tenacity, integrity. In my head, I call it CTI. That was my acronym (laughs) as I read the book. That makes up the secret sauce in terms of the elements of what fearless leadership means. Curious how you decided upon those three elements? That's a great question. Uh, Oftentimes, especially in what I've seen with working, again, with with Fortune 100, even within the Fortune 500 sphere, is that when organizations have reached a certain level of success, or even teams have, this is when it becomes even more important because we get comfortable and we don't like feeling vulnerable. And yet, to stay on that leading edge and to stay innovative and stay creative and ahead of our competition is going to require you to be courageous. And it's taking that first step that is really hard. Mm-hmm. And you know, you'll have people that will tell you that's not a good idea, or it's never gonna be successful, and, and we get all tangled up in this fear of failure right. and being vulnerable that we oftentimes won't even take that first step. So that's where you find the problem is a lot of you know leadership and companies, things are going so well they're afraid to right. move forward or even try to take that risk. Right, and even redefine what success looks like on their terms. But once you do that, and the natural follow-on to that is having the ability to stay tenacious. Right. So often when we run into these stumbling blocks or we have these really extraordinarily you know, big failures or very public failures, people will start to pull back. Mm-hmm. But yet that's when you should really go all in and be committed. And people kind of get that confused a little bit. Sometimes they think, oh, I just need to be courageous or I can't. It's exhausting being courageous all the time. But you just need to be courageous for just a little blast just to kind of get going and, and get out there. And then tenacity is having that ability to really stay committed 
when it's no longer fun, which really at the end of the day, when you're working in a really dynamic environment or there is one, whether it's in the financial industry or in the IT space, that's very, very uh, rapidly changing and evolving, a lot of disruption involved, you have to be able to stay committed and dig in and know that a lot of that work isn't going to be fun. Right. You say in the book, you say courage is a 20-second sprint, tenacity is a five-hour marathon, which is a really great analogy because it kind of, it's the blueprint for everything you just said. Absolutely. Right. And then the integrity, finish the equation. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, integrity should be a really short discussion. Mm -hmm. It should be like, of course, I operate with integrity, you know, chapter done, but it's not that easy. Every single piece of research out there pretty much shows that everybody thinks integrity is a really important piece of operating both on a personal level and on a business level. And yet there's almost 100% agreement that when you start pulling people, they say other people are not operating with integrity. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. And yet, as we've seen, even as recently uh, as in the last year or so, oftentimes when mistakes are made, what people want, what your clients want, and what your customers want is for you simply to say, I'm sorry, I'll fix it. Right. And then they'll trust you mm -hmm. because once you've broken that trust between organization and consumer or client or advisor situation, your relationship is fundamentally broken right. and your ability to reach that peak yeah. level performance is mm -hmm. gone. Right. We're not infallible. And when you acknowledge that, there's sort of a respect factor, I think, involved. Absolutely. Uh, you're human. Can you give us some real life examples where, because you do a lot of public speaking, mm -hmm. going into a lot of these Fortune 500 companies, where you, you know you give real real life examples of these leaders that became fearless by taking a risk when they really didn't have to, or vice versa? Right. Well, I think there's a large IT company that I work with that is definitely evolving their product line, and it takes them away from what their base is. And so from a leadership level, being able to communicate that message and communicate it effectively and rapidly within the whole team all the way down to the newest person on board is critical and when you're doing that when you're involved in this change and having this, this ability to be fearless it's also it's, it's challenging at every leadership level because everybody needs to understand what the vision is right. it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily know exactly what things are going to look like mm -hmm. at the end which is what makes people really uncomfortable. But everybody on your team needs to know where it is that they're going so they can all be headed in the same direction. And what do you say to the fearless leader that doesn't achieve the vision? The vision? They tried. They, they put right. all these steps into the process, but it just didn't work out. How do you recover? That's a different situation if you're in the executive uh, suite and you're the one who's actually formulating that vision and the direction of the company, or if you're in that mid-manager space. Okay. The mid-manager space, if you're having problems with your team, then clearly, that onus is on you to be able to translate that vision. And I call that, you need to be able to do that by fearless leadership, by walking around. Because that message can't just be sent out uh, on, on a mission and value statement or a vision statement or, you know, hey, we have it hanging over our door. Everybody knows what this is. It is something that needs to be internalized by every single person on your team. And as a leader, the only way you know what that is, is you need to get to know your teammates and make it resonate with them on a personal level. Once you get that equation solved, nothing right. will stop you. C-Suite Radio. You say that what consistently has stuck out most, though, is that high-performing teams require fearless 
leaders. Absolutely. And, and without that, without having the ability to manage your fear, you will never become the leader that you were meant to be. And you get held back by either these feelings of vulnerability or what if you're outed as not being as intelligent as, as people think you might be. But it's having that ability to push through that fear and push through the discomfort that allows you then to become more flexible and allows you to adapt in really, really changing and volatile situations, which means you'll be able to overcome whatever obstacles are thrown mm. in front of you. So having that ability to be fearless, and again, you grow this and develop it by pushing the limits constantly. Right. I always tell the folks that I work with and, and the executives that I coach that you need to do one thing every day that scares you. One thing every day that puts either a lump in your throat yeah. or a pit in your stomach. Because when you do that, when you're constantly pushing yourself, it gives you more confidence. And it conditions you. It's, it's muscle memory. It's fearlessness muscle memory that then allows you to push further and further and brings your team with you that sees, you know what, we're going to go for it. We're yeah. going to go big and we're going to be okay. So is this book strictly for leaders, people who are in existing leadership positions, or is this for anyone who's trying to be a leader? It's for anybody. It's it's not just for shrinking violets, and it's not just if you have, you know, that C-suite label, that executive title already. It's for anybody who's looking to take their performance to the next level. Okay. And it gives you great insights with, with different examples, uh, whether it's in, in the IT field, in the sports space, in the military. So it's not just a military book, but it gives you real life examples of how can you do this? How can you incorporate some some of these peak performing principles into what it is you are trying to achieve. Okay. So Carrie, do you think that, you know, there's a lot of shy people out there, people just don't have the drive. Do you think anyone can be a leader? Do we all have it within us, the capability to do I, it? The I question do. is, do we have the aspiration? Uh, right. I don't, maybe that's the difference, but do you think we all have the capability? Right, and that's a great question because oftentimes there are two very, very different camps. People will say you're either born to lead or you can learn it. And I think it's actually a blend uh, and trying to figure out what works best for you, but also with a little, a little sprinkle of reality mm -hmm. that it's not easy. Oftentimes so many you know, people think, oh my gosh, well you were just lucky or I didn't have that opportunity or we think everybody else, they just must, must have had something that we didn't have, which at the end of the day, that's actually usually not the case. It's that they've learned to really stick with it. They've learned to dig in and dig deep and understand that, that you never know it all. So this idea of continually learning is also critical. Mm -hmm. You've never actually arrive. Right, uh, right. You're always a work in progress. Did you consider yourself a leader before you went into the Navy? In different aspects, I think definitely. But that doesn't mean that when I chose to walk down this path that I also wasn't a little bit afraid, right? There weren't any mentors. There wasn't anybody who had done this before me. And certainly there were people who were telling me, you're crazy. Why would you do this? this well, is... A lot of people want to, want to know, why did you? I know. This? Well, because I wanted to fly. And, uh -huh. you know, and, and I grew up in the Midwest and there was a little piece of me that's like, I don't get it. I don't understand what all the discussion is. The jet doesn't know the difference, right. right? But one of the things that my dad actually used to always tell me was those people who tell you you can't and you won't are usually the ones who are most afraid that you will. So well, that's interesting. And the way I'm wired is that I have more fear of being regretful about something than going for than not it. not giving it a shot. That's right. And you know, what if you make a mistake? So what? But, but if you learn from it, then you're always going to be better off than had you not gone for it to begin with. So after your life experiences so far, you'd say at this point now, your fear is fear of inaction. 
Absolutely. So it's having that ability to take action in the face of the unknown. And especially when you don't know if you're actually going to be successful. And it's having this bias to act that they actually tried to uncover early on uh, in us in the training. Because what they knew to be the case was those people who inherently have a bias to act will generally stay alive and be successful in the long term. And that parallel actually is really similar to business right. world and being able to remain innovative and be flexible and adapt and overcome no matter what sort of volatility may be in the marketplace. Because oftentimes, particularly when we've been successful and or when the marketplace is changing quickly and we become afraid, we pull back and we right. go, ooh, I'm not, mm, I'm yeah. not gonna go first. I'm gonna let them go first and see what happens. But when we're sitting back and we're playing it safe, we've actually put ourselves more at risk because you no longer have a voice, you no longer really have a seat at the table, and somebody else is out there. Somebody else is being daring enough and bold enough to go first while you're playing it safe. Right. And right. that's very dangerous territories. So what do you say to the leader on the road to fearlessness who says, Carrie, I've, I've taken your secret sauce. I tried, I failed. I tried again, I failed. I tried again and I failed. How do you convince them you gotta keep going? I mean, how many that's Times awesome. do you fail before you throw in the towel? Okay, well, there's a difference between failing because you're making really bad decisions mm -hmm. and learning from those mistakes and incorporating them. Okay. So this is actually, this is where it slides into sort of the next section of the book in this because when we were flying and because our learning curve was so steep and so fast, learning and continual learning and debriefing was part of our process because we know that we're going to make mistakes. We're, we're all human. We're never going to have that perfect flight, the perfect event. So the key is in order to keep polishing your skills and becoming better and a, the best leader you can be and growing the best, most high performing team that you can is having that ability to continually learn and learn quicker than your competition is. Okay. So if there was sort of one nugget from your book that you think sticks out above all the other nuggets, <laughs> mm -hmm. what would it be? I think that everybody uh, everybody has the ability to go out and, and be big and be bold. But again, it's not just about making uh, random decisions, but it's being very intentional. And know that it takes just little bursts of courage. And that if you do that, then you will be on the path to rapidly becoming the best leader that you can be. That's terrific. And you also talk about adapting a military process mm -hmm. to your team. And you talk about uh, three Ps. Real quickly, tell us, tell us what those are. So I call that the prepare, perform, and prevail process. The preparation phase is the time that we take to do our planning mm -hmm. and to get everybody on board. And that increases everybody's situational awareness, really. So what, what resources do we have at hand? Uh, what are the threats to us? being successful and how are we going to do this? And then we take the time to brief our team. It's interesting because Harvard Business Review did a study several years ago that showed one hour of effective planning mm -hmm. uh, can save you 200 execution errors. And yet, in every organization that I've worked with, they the pushback is always, well, my team knows what they're doing. You right. don't need to take yeah, the time to right. do this because you don't understand. We're too busy executing. And I'm like, yeah, but you have this firefighting culture that you celebrate, you know, hey, look, we made this big save and we're awesome, right? Yeah. And no, you want to get rid of those execution errors because if you've prepared and everybody knows what it's supposed to
supposed to look like, what success looks like, like when the smoke clears, then the whole execution phase should be boring because people can adapt and adjust in that. And then in order to prevail, that is where the debrief comes in. After every single flight when we were in the military, we always took the time to debrief, simply to figure out what's working, what's not, and how do we make it better the next time? So we don't wait until, you know, 60 days later to figure out what did we do on that flight? I don't know, it seemed to go okay, right? It's immediate and it's quick. And it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. So we set our egos aside and we just figured out what is it gonna take to make this better next time. You said it all right there. In the Navy, you guys are putting your egos aside for, you know, for, in terms of the efficacy of the process. So it's something that everybody has to do regardless of, you know, how, how high a level a leader you are. Absolutely. And I think that can really stop people sometimes because we, we start to kind of pull the positional authority card. Uh, you see it all the time in patient safety mishaps and in operating teams, and you see it in every other organization. However, when you're able to set your ego aside and try to get to the, the bottom line of figuring out what's working and what's not, and understanding that it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. right. And that's what we're looking for. That's a really important distinction. We'll have to say, the book is so terrific because it's such a unique perspective. Not many people have the perspective you've had and then can sort of relay your firsthand experiences and the parallels you see in the business world. So Great. we haven't even gotten to any of the good stuff. <laughs> but that's why you have to pick up the book and that's read right. it. Um, but it's, it's a great read. So thank you for sharing. Thank for being you. Here. Thanks. All right. And if you'd like to check out the book, all you have to do is go to our website at csweetbookclub.com. That's c-sweetbookclub.com. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We'll see you next time right here on Bestseller TV. Like what you just heard, visit c-sweetradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.